Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey, everyone. If you like legal thrillers based on issues ripped from today's headlines, you're going to love my guest today, Mark Bello. Mark is here to talk with us about his latest novel, Supreme Betrayal. It's a dynamic and action-packed journey of injustice, betrayal, murder, and revenge as white privilege, partisan politics, and greed take precedence over the truth. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Mark. As an attorney and civil justice advocate, author Mark M. Bellow draws upon over 40 years of courtroom experience in his Zachary Blake legal thriller series. A Michigan native, Mark received his B.A. in English Literature from Oakland University and his law degree from Thomas M. Cooley Law School. After working extremely high-profile legal cases, Mark wanted to give the public a front-row glimpse of what victims face when standing up for justice. Combining his legal experience and passion for justice with a creative writing style, Mark not only brings high-quality legal services to his clients, but captivating novels to his readers. When Mark's not writing legal and political novels, he writes and posts about fairness and justice in the civil justice system on his website, in the Legal Examiner, and Injury Board. In his spare time, Mark enjoys traveling and spending time with his family. Mark and his wife, Toby, have four children and eight grandchildren. Learn more about Mark Bellow and his work at markmbellow.com. Well, hi, Mark. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Pleasure to be here, Sherry. So tell us about Supreme Betrayal. It's about a Supreme Court nomination of uh, a sexual predator. Mm -hmm. And the victim of this nominee uh, decides that she's been silent too long and she can't possibly, in good conscience, allow a sexual predator to become uh, a United States Supreme Court justice. So she decides to fight back and go public with her story. Uh, and that is the basic premise of the book. What inspired you to write this book? Obviously, in these days and times, people will recall the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm-hmm. And certainly those hearings and that incident Uh, inspired the idea for the book. But the difference between my book and the Kavanaugh hearings is in my book, the candidate is is clearly a sexual predator. I don't make it a he said, she said story. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's done what he's done. He's a bad guy. And the question is whether or not Zachary Blake, the hero of all my novels, can help his client keep uh, this evil man off the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. So it was inspired by recent events, but it's a totally different story. Yeah, I don't want want people saying I'm doing a hit job on Brett Kavanaugh. It is not about Brett Kavanaugh. Right. But you've carved your own little niche in the literary world with your Zachary Blake legal thriller series because... You do take today's headlines and, and turn them into these thrilling contemporary stories. Well, what I've found, frankly, is that fact can sometimes be or often be stranger or more compelling than fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of been my creed going forward. I, 
I wrote my first book based on a case I handled, and I thought I'd be a one-hit wonder that I was fulfilling a bucket list. I always promised myself I'd write a book about it. Mm -hmm. But that's the only book I've written that was based on a case I handled in my career. Mm. The other books that have followed have followed because some event happened in the news that basically compelled me to write a fictional account of it, starting with the 2016 election. My second book, Betrayal of Justice, was based on that. And things have happened in the news and in our country that have inspired me to write. And uh, that's kind of been the history of Zachary Blake. Yeah, yeah. So when did you write your first book? It was released originally in 2016. Mm -hmm. It was written probably over 15 years. It's the only book that took me years rather than months to write, mainly because I was still practicing law during all of that time. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know, I I wasn't as political or news-inspired as I am today. I didn't have as much time on my hand as, as I do today. I can't answer why I'm suddenly inspired to write six novels, but perhaps writing the first made it clear to me that I could do it. Yeah. Uh, perhaps I just have more time on my hands. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just something happens out there and I say, geez, I got to write about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that because I love your books. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thank, you. thank you for loving them. I appreciate it. Well, when you started writing your books, I mean, I mean, the world has changed and I feel like you provided an outlet and gave voice to some of the things that were happening. Well, I I guess that depends on your political perspective. But for you and I, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, (laughs) for you and I, the frustration was such that I just felt I needed to do this and needed to get uh, my point of view out there. What bothers me is how much a person has to suspend common sense uh, to support certain ideologies or issues that are important to them. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you're a evangelical and abortion means something to you, why don't the other things that are important, like truth and justice, mean something to you? Yeah. If it's all about your 401k and your portfolio is important to you, why isn't ethics and common sense important to you? No one issue is important enough to allow someone uh, who was so uh, offensive to be running our country. You know, that's kind of what inspired me. Yeah. Uh, And and by the way, uh, when I wrote my second book, which is called Betrayal of Justice, about the 2016 election, I wrote it before the election was decided. Mm. So very much like this book might result in saying, uh, oh, it's about Kavanaugh. A lot of people said, oh, a betrayal of justice was about Trump. And yes, it was about the candidate that he appeared to be. Mm-hmm. But the fictional guy I created was anti-Muslim, was a anti-Latino bigot, had ideologies that I disagreed with, but he was a candidate. Mm-hmm. So when Trump got elected, he had a choice to be that guy or become a president that was different than the guy that campaigned. And he chose to be the guy that campaigned. Right. So 
he kind of imitated my guy, not the other way around. <laughs> right, right. I get that. Well, unfortunately, the past year, well, actually, the past four years have provided uh, many unprecedented events for story inspiration. It's amazing how much factual news out there is available to an author to create contemporary fiction. That's for sure. Or fact-based fiction, for like a realistic or, fiction, as I call it. Right, right. Right now, for instance, I'm working on a novel about the immigration crisis. Mm. Now, it's going to be better going forward, I think, uh, with Biden in the White House. But there's still this problem with uh, both the Latino and Muslim community coming from various countries uh, that America has been convinced over the last four years are bad countries to get immigrants from. Mm. So we have to combat that essentially with facts. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I'm currently working on. One thing I like about your books is that they're both entertaining and informative. And how do you balance writing a good story with imparting all of the knowledge you do about the justice system? I try to write and then stand back as a reader. And uh, that helped me a lot. Uh, what I want to know is whether I can educate someone about a particular area of the law, yet entertain them at the same time. Mm. Have I done that? And I look at other legal thriller authors and their ability to tell a story, but at the same time, educate a reader on a particular area of the law. And I basically try to piggyback on that approach. Mm-hmm. For me, when I stand back having written it and read it, is it educational and entertaining as well? And I find that I, I don't want to say that writing a novel is easy. That would be arrogant. Mm -hmm. Very few people can write novels. And I'm certainly appreciative that I have the skill to do so. Mm -hmm. But I find it relatively easy to uh, tell a legal story in an entertaining way. Yeah. Um, now, some people have said that I go too far in explaining legal terms or legal concepts or uh, explaining to people why the law says this or that or the other thing. I feel that it's not just my duty to entertain. It's also my duty to educate. Mm -hmm. I like people to know what their rights are. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I uh, write the novels I write. Yeah. Should Haley... Larson Schultz had just taken it and gone on with her life. Of course not. That would let a sexual predator do this again and again and again. Right. Should Sarah Hayes have let a cop shoot her husband without consequence? Of course not. That would mean that cops can shoot black people anytime they want. Should Jennifer Tracy have allowed the priest to molest her two kids without consequence? Of course not. Right. That would allow priests to continue to molest kids. So I think you can tell these stories and educate and entertain at the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't think your stories are heavy on the information. I think it's a, it's a good balance. Well, thank you. And, and that's, it's an important balance. Yeah. I, I certainly don't think you should get bogged down in technicality. I just read a novel. I, don't, I won't uh, mention the author or the book. I'll just be a little critical. He went a little overboard in explaining the technical aspects of an argument, or of a legal argument, or a courtroom um, strategy. Uh, he over-explained certain things, and I, I try not to do that, but I have been accused of that, so mm. uh, maybe if he read my stuff, he'd feel the same way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I think as a reader, I want to be informed. I want to learn. I don't want to be, I don't want to just be entertained. I want to learn as well, but I don't want to feel like I'm reading a history lesson. So Exactly. And that's the uh, everyday battle when you write the kind of stuff I write. That's, right. I try to paint it between the lines rather than, than go over the line on either side of that. Right. Right. I certainly like writing about real events. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I, I don't want to write frivolous stuff. I want topics to be important and relevant to people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about some of the issues you cover in Supreme Betrayal, um, starting with okay. sexual assault. Um, your character, Haley Larson, she's sexually assaulted at, I guess, what basically amounts to a frat party. Correct. And over the course of, what, just a couple of minutes, her life changes forever. But yet, you know, Haley, like most women, are afraid to come forward with these allegations of sexual assault. Why do you think that is, and what is the biggest deterrent to women coming forward? Well, I must say I didn't write it as an expert in sexual assault. I wrote it as someone who basically wanted to pose the very question you just asked me. So I, I'll answer your question, but not as an expert in the field. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to push back a little bit. Haley did try to press charges. She did go to the police, and the dynamic here was the assault happened at a prominent businessman's mansion mm-hmm. in suburban Detroit. The two boys who hosted the party were the sons of this prominent businessman, and this businessman was uh, essentially, because of his own political power, able to suppress the young woman's complaint, make her less believable, and use his influence in the community to get her to drop the charges. Mm. So to push back a little bit on your theory that she didn't move forward, she tried to and, mm-hmm. and found herself a weakling in, the, in a sea of uh, strong political advocacy. But the incident never sat well with her, And as fate would have it, she was a strong woman. She went to college. She got herself a career. And her career, uh, as you know from having read the book, was becoming a social worker and a counselor and running a clinic that counseled sexual assault victims. Mm -hmm. So she turned the, the very negative experience in her life into a positive. At the same time, while she's developing this career in social work, uh, her predator, Oliver Wilkinson, is becoming a lawyer, using his political power and his parents' influence to become a judge, taking his judicial career and turning it into an appellate career. And 20 years later, he is now the president's nominee for a Supreme Court seat. A United States Supreme Court seat. Right. Having been a Michigan Court of Appeals judge and a U.S. Court of Appeals judge before that, uh, Haley has kind of fought his nominations before, and her complaints and uh, letters have fallen on deaf ears. And she's basically given up and decided that he's going to be what he's going to be until she finds out he's going to be a Supreme Court justice. And that, for her, is a bridge too far. Yeah. She did speak up 
and nothing happened. And when people see that, and over the years, there have been plenty of sexual assault cases brought up against men and women see men getting away with it. And so they're less likely to speak up. That's uh, true. And that's, and, and that's been true, I would say, until the Me Too movement became uh, a prominent movement in the United States. Mm-hmm. And what you have is kind of a, I don't know, a reverse, if you will, of the way it has been up to now, where women are basically trying to explain themselves in going forward with charges. And now you've got men on the defensive uh, defending themselves from the more politically correct Me Too movement. And Mm. my reaction to that is, oh, well, uh, it's kind of about time. If we men have to bear a little pain for women who have been assaulted to be heard, so be it. Yeah. But it is a little better these days, and and the pendulum is has shifted a bit, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. But do you think the most recent appointment to the Supreme Court actually hindered the Me Too movement at all? I think it helped inspire it, frankly, to watch what Christine Blasey Ford, similar to my book, and again, I, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that it was inspired by, by the Kavanaugh hearing, but she alleged a sexual assault that happened at a party in, the, in college similar to the facts in my book 20 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And whether she, I don't remember the specific facts of the Kavanaugh hearing, but whether she tried to pursue charges then or not, I I seem to recall she didn't, uh, which is, which again is different than the uh, fact scenario in my book. Right. But, you know, here we are 20 some odd years later, and here comes this woman out of the blue and makes these charges. And it made it made them less credible, for lack of a better way to say it. Mm. Not that she didn't present them credibly, but clearly, had she pressed charges, had Kavanaugh gone on trial, guilty or not guilty, and credible evidence had been put forward that suggested that he was guilty, even though you couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, I doubt he would have been a candidate 20 years later for the Supreme Court. Mm. So this out-of-the-blue kind of thing, uh, a letter to Dianne Feinstein during the confirmation hearings is what kind of doomed Christine Blasey Ford's allegations and resulted in Kavanaugh's confirmation along political lines. Right. Now, now I want to talk about Haley some more. Mm-hmm. Haley is white. She's educated. She's upper middle class. Does her social standing bring more credibility to her story in your book? What I'm saying is that's another part of the overall problem, white privilege. And is she perceived to, to being more credible because she's white and educated and, and upper middle class? It's a question that I hadn't contemplated. I would probably admit that that's a yes, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't my intention. Mm. I didn't intend to make her, oh, I don't know, let's call her an equal to Oliver Wilkinson. I I didn't intend to have her develop her career and become a strong woman so she could take him on as a co-equal. 
Mm-hmm. I still think without, let's say, Zachary Blake and his political influence, she would have been able to take him on. Mm. I think he was politically a Goliath to her, David. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I could have, I, I certainly could have, as an author, made her a weaker person. I don't really know how to answer that. It wasn't intentional. Yeah, no, I wasn't really wondering if it was intentional or not. But I guess the intentional part for me, I just saw parallels to the way white privilege is treated in the real world. I, I don't know, the parallels just stood out to me. Well, I, I'll give you a parallel. If you, if you look at a couple of prominent women who made accusations against our former president, as publicly well-known as they were, their allegations fell on deaf ears. Uh, he was more powerful than they were. Or for the majority of Americans, his presidency was more important than their victimness. Right. I've never understood that, by the way. I, how do you square the advancement of the Me Too movement, while at the same time, this man's predatory behavior was being ignored. Right. Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein are the worst people in the world, but Donald Trump is president of the United States. It's an oxymoron. I I can't explain it. And again, the fact that Haley's white, Haley's much more of a self-made woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, She basically educated herself and used a negative experience in her life, sexual assault, to develop a career and a successful practice. Uh, You could call her a self-made woman. Mm -hmm. She wasn't handed everything on a silver platter and born into power the way her predator was. So, you know, again, I don't know that that I would consider them co-equals in their battle. I think she was the weaker of the two. But she was certainly determined to prevent him from achieving a seat on the highest court in the land. Right. And I love that positive message that she sends. I mean, she did make something of her life, too. Not everyone is able to move on like that. So, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I tried to make her, I don't know, a victim plus. Mm. I certainly didn't want to take away her victimhood. Right. Because it was an important factor in who she became. But I do want people to understand that you can choose two ways of life once you've experienced something like that uh you can try to turn a negative into a positive or you can dwell on the negative right and Haley, to her credit is a person who has turned the negative into a positive yeah and i really enjoyed her character because of that thank you i really like Haley larson schultz i think she's a neat person yeah absolutely can you talk about the challenges in writing her character or actually writing as the opposite sex in general, rather? I do a lot of research and I write from a combination of, of my own life experiences representing people uh, and the research I've done. I don't know that I write women as accurately as perhaps a woman would write a woman. I'm very satisfied with Haley. I, I seem to write a lot of female protagonist books and I I can't explain that to you it just is Yeah. since Zachary's a man I don't know I guess I like uh, to have his clients for purposes of role playing Mm -hmm. uh, be strong women Uh, there are are exceptions Jack Dillon and 
in Betrayal in Blue is, a, is an exception. The predators tend to be powerful males, so there's that. But uh, his clients tend to be women. I, I don't know why. <laughs> they just are, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could have done the story in reverse, right? Could have been a, a female True. Supreme Court nominee. and I actually think I'd have more difficulty with that. I, perhaps it's that I've represented female clients. I, I don't know. I just... Mm. Uh, I find it easier to write Zach's client being a woman rather than the bad person being a woman. It's hard. It's a hard question to explain. I, it just is. I, I think it just goes down to chivalry. I don't find it difficult writing them, though. Yeah. I, I will say that. Yeah. No, and, and and I guess, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at. You, you do a good job creating your female characters, and so I was just... I was going to ask you that. I was going to turn it around and ask you whether they were well-drawn female characters. I feel they are, but uh, I don't find it very difficult to write a female character. But to your point, I do write a particular female character, Mm -hmm. and I seem to follow a theme, which is uh, they're the client of Zachary Blake. They're strong women. Uh, They have a point of view and a cause to fight for, and they do a pretty good job of fighting for that cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that That seems to be a theme in my novels. Yeah. Well, and I will say that the female characters that I've read of your books do seem authentic uh, because, I mean, honestly, I've read some books, I can't think of any, and I wouldn't call them out anyway, but where the female character is, it's so obviously written by a man that, I mean, it, I just can't read it anymore, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I try very hard not to be that man. <laughs> You're not that guy. <laughs> So thank you for not being that guy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about Oliver Wilkinson. I his I want to talk about his character as well because he was spot on. I was laughing and crying at the same time about his ridiculous behavior. <laughs> I just I mean I really think that you created a, a wonderful character that people will love to hate. What went into creating this character? Well, he's the man I love to hate. I mean it, as a husband as the father of three daughters, a guy like that who can use his wealthy parents, his well-connected family, his privilege to push people around and, and get his way and, and bump his career any way he wants and has never had to fight or earn anything mm-hmm. is the antithesis of, of who I am and who I've always aspired to be. Mm-hmm. So, He's basically the guy I love to hate. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, the idea that somebody becomes successful simply because they're born into it is abhorrent to me. I'd much rather they be somebody that earned it. I don't know. You know, you look at a a Joe Biden or a Barack Obama vis-a-vis a Donald Trump or a George W. Bush. And I, and again, I, I hate to be political. It's not a Republican Democrat thing. It just happens to be mm-hmm. who those four people are. Their path to the presidency was very different. Yeah. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, a Republican had a, a much more common, decent, uh, poor person's path to power. Right. So maybe he's a good example. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt had the advantage of being Roosevelt's, despite the fact that they were different parties. 
Mm-hmm. But if you take a, a Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton or a, a Joe Biden, they come from, you know, blue collar, hard knocks, pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of origins to powerful positions. That method is much preferred for somebody like me than uh, the privilege and ease uh, to power of an Oliver Wilkinson. Uh, that, That somebody like that achieves the power to judge others is very troublesome to me, both as a human being and as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I don't want a judge like that judging my case. Right. And that was part of the motive for drawing the character. I want people to see uh, that it's important how a person rises to power. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I, I'm certainly not saying that a person born with a silver spoon in his mouth can't be a social justice advocate, can't be someone who... who these things are important to, uh, I'm just saying that they're less likely to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I will get a lot of pushback on, on this interview. <laughs> well, the tendency is to be more like Oliver Wilkinson. Yeah, you certainly don't want that guy. Right. Um, and that's what I, Oliver Wilkinson is an everyman. He embodies all of the things that I find offensive in the type of person who he represents. Mm-hmm. So he was probably an easy character to write. Well, I, you know, I don't want to say evil is easy to write, <laughs> but there, it's certainly easy to hate. He's deliciously evil. I mean, it, it, it's almost like a caricature of evil. Yeah. There's a young, I'm going to give a young woman an author a plug. <laughs> There's an author who I met on my, in my journey as an independent author by the name of D.A. Reed. And she writes, I don't know, serial killer kind of things. And she has a protagonist a detective by the name of Caitlin O'Reilly, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And her serial killer in her first book, I can't think of the name of it. Some plug, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's written several Caitlin O'Reilly novels. And her character is so evil and, and such an, a graphic serial killer. And she's got two young kids and a husband, and I ask her if her husband sleeps with one eye open. It's like, it's like, how does a sweet young lady like write something like this? And she says, yeah, uh, people ask him that all the time. It's like authors seem to be drawn to writing their hero and then writing this antithesis of their hero. And that seems to be who Oliver Wilkinson is. If you look at Zachary Blake and his honorable legal quest for justice, Mm -hmm. and you compare him to somebody who cuts corners and rises to power because of his parents' political prominence, and then behaves in a way that is consistent with the ease of which he obtained his powerful position, you can easily understand why Zachary Blake is who he is and why Oliver Wilkinson is who he is. Yeah, And I do love to point out the differences between the two of them. And in Betrayal High, the gun manufacturer and how evil he was and his contrast uh, to Zachary Blake, mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a theme with me as well. Yeah, they're, they're opposites. They're polar opposites. And they're both powerful guys. Mm-hmm. So you can use wealth and power to do good and you can use wealth and power to do bad. 
And that's kind of the, it's a classic battle of good and evil. And, and that motivates characters on both sides of my books. Yeah. I, you know, I never thought about it, uh, your books as being the battle of good versus evil. I think of David versus Goliath, but I never thought of them as good versus evil, but they are. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're consistent themes to each other. Mm-hmm. The other issue, if you look at power, is you can use power to do good. You can use power to do bad. That's a choice. Yeah. Oliver Wilkinson was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That doesn't mean he had to be a bad guy. He didn't have to That's be. That's a choice. Right. Well, I love this story. It's actually one of my favorites. Now, you said it's out right now for pre-order. It's, it's pre-order on Amazon and then out wider on uh, and for release on April 2nd, both in um, print and in ebook. book uh, It's also being prepared as an audio book as well. Oh, good. All of my books up to um, Supreme Betrayal are available on audiobook. Mm, okay, great. And I, I just wrote a short, uh, I wrote a novella as a um, kind of a prequel flashback mm-hmm. of Zachary Blake's Bar Mitzvah and his grandfather's promise to tell him the story of his escape from Auschwitz during World War II. And that, by the way, is available at Amazon as well, but it's also available free to anybody who subscribes to my website. So you can go to my website, markambello.com, and download the novella for free. Oh, that's a heck of a deal. And I've downloaded it, actually. I just haven't read it yet. Um, please I love please the... do. Let me know what you think. I will, absolutely. I love the um, I love prequels. Well, the neat thing about the novella is it kind of gives you a, the reason why Zach decided to become a lawyer. It, it helps you understand his who he is and who he became. Oh, yeah. I love that. Now, I always like to hear about what an author's next project is before we sign off. And you mentioned earlier you were working on a novel about immigration. How long have you been working on this story? Six, eight months. I was writing it alongside Supreme Betrayal. I, the question was, which was I going to concentrate on? Because I had basically both ideas at the same time. Mm. I've never tried to write two books at once. and It didn't work out very well. <laughs> Uh, so I, I kept having to put one down and, and pick up the other, and and I decided I would work on Supreme Betrayal. So I'm going to kind of pick up where I left off on the unnamed immigration novel. It, it tells the immigration story from two points of view. It, a Muslim woman decides to go home to Syria during the battle between the Turks and the Kurds at the Syrian border of Turkey and gets caught up in a uh, hostage situation. At the same time, a young illegal South American family, uh, the two kids are born here in America, the two parents overstay a visa, and the plant that they work at is raided by ICE, and they end up separated from their family. So this, the plot shifts back and forth from the one family to the other. Oh, wow. And the one situation and the other. And uh, it's, That's been an interesting experience. As you can tell from the story, uh, kind of ripped from the headlines again. Right, right. Oh, that's going to be good. Thank you. No pressure, but <laughs> hurry. No. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> Mark, as always, it's been wonderful talking with you about your books. And thank you so much for letting us into the world of Zachary Blake. Not a problem. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Mark M. Bello, author of Supreme Betrayal. You can learn more about Mark on his website at Mark mbello.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.